invite you to stand for the reading of the gospel, which comes from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. It is Matthew's account of the temptation of Jesus. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor and said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. Lord, use your servants' lips and your people's ears and hearts that they may be wed, that the seed of your word might be planted and brought forth with a resurrection joy. Amen and amen. I've had the good fortune to live in two different places in Kentucky, one that was reasonably close to the Daniel Boone National Forest, and so 20 plus years ago, I knew most of the, at least the the larger trails in the Daniel Boone National Forest, and I wouldn't get lost if I went there. On the other hand, before I had ever lived near Camp Lucon, I went up there one afternoon and was hiking the grounds of Camp Lucon. I didn't take into account, though, that the hour in time difference meant that the sun in November would set about 4.30 p.m. And so I was walking along, and I was really quite far from any place that I knew where I would be, and I noticed the sun getting lower and lower uh, toward the horizon, and I realized that I was in trouble. I was in an uninhabited place. I was somewhere I didn't know where I was, and I was praying that God would deliver me from my own ignorance and that I wouldn't have to get cold out at night. The wilderness. The wilderness is an interesting place. In Kentucky, we might think of the wilderness as the Daniel Boone National Forest or as some place where there are lots of trees and some hills and some streams, but nothing in particular for us to hold our focus on. In Israel, the wilderness is a very different place. Uh, The wilderness looks something like this. 
in Israel. Lots and lots of sand and rock. And if you are lucky, you can see a herd of goats that looks like it's not all that far away, but in fact, uh, it would take several hours of walking in the hot sun to get from where I took this photograph to where that herd of goats was. The traditional location of the temptation of Jesus is on a rugged mountainside which now thanks to we tourists who come over uh, thanks to us they've got some uh, housing and some other things nearby even some trees but the temptation of Jesus takes place in the wilderness in a place that is far from human habitation God uses the wilderness to shape his children's identity We often think of the wilderness as negative connotations, as uh, a place that is far from human habitation, and yet God uses the wilderness again and again in the Old Testament and the New Testament to shape his children's identity. Jacob. Jacob flees from his home, the place where he's been. Esau is angry with him. Esau is ready to kill him. And Jacob goes on a wilderness kind of journey to his distant family in a far-off land seeking refuge. Joseph, in his amazing technicolor dream coat, has gotten on one too many of his brother's last nerves. Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery and his wilderness is at Potiphar's house and there in the jail. But God is using that wilderness to shape his children's identity. Moses is on the lam. He is a murderer with an arrest warrant out for him in Egypt. And he flees and he goes and he settles down and he gets married and has children and there one day while keeping the flock Moses meets God in the wilderness in the burning bush the bush that burns but is not consumed there are many things that take place in the wilderness as God uses the wilderness to shape His children's identity. In the Gospel, for example, we find like in Mark, in the morning while it was still very dark, Jesus gets up and He goes into the wilderness to a deserted place. And there He prays. Any of you with several family members who are trying to pray in the morning know why Jesus needed to get up and go to a deserted place to pray. I have, I have these, these earmuffs that they work really good for me. They're, they're actually uh, ear protection for shooters. For me, it's ear protection for prayers. And since I have no hair, they make this... They, they make this seal all the way around and everybody in my house can be doing all sorts of things but they know if I have my, if I have my ear protection on that I am in my sanctuary. So instead of saying, Dad, I get poked. <laughs> Jesus and his disciples, they've got a lot of things to do. Kids got soccer practice. Everybody in the family wants to eat. 
Work keeps calling and calling and calling. And Jesus has to say to them, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest for a while because many were coming and going and they didn't even have the chance to eat. And then we find at the beginning of today's gospel lesson, Jesus, having just been baptized, this mountaintop moment where God's Spirit in the form of a dove comes, comes down upon him. He's baptized. And a voice from heaven says, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. God uses the wilderness. The very next verse, God uses the wilderness to shape his children's identity. It's the wilderness where Moses and the children of Israel for 40 years wander. And it's that wilderness that changes them from having the mindset of servants to recognizing that they are God's people. It is the wilderness that Jesus goes into after this mountaintop moment Baptism in the Jordan River to shape his identity and to face the temptations that will arise. Dear friends, God uses the wilderness to shape his children's identity, to shape your identity and mine. Maybe when you lost your job and didn't know what was going to happen, you found yourself in a wilderness time. Maybe when you were depressed and didn't even know why, you found yourself in a wilderness time. Maybe when the doctor gave you or someone you love the devastating news that life would not be the same, you found yourself in a wilderness time. God uses the wilderness to shape us to give us the identity of the children of God. And dear friends, that identity will be put to the test. Is your reliance on God genuine? Will it persist in the face of adversities and challenges? Will faith mold our lives? Or will culture, will our own needs and our own desires Will our longing for the affirmation of others be the deciding impulse of our lives? The testing in the wilderness tells the difference between that which is genuine and that which is fake. That which is just an emotion and that which is real that comes down to the core. The testing in the wilderness separates the wheat from the chaff separates the authentic from the fraudulent. In Spartanburg, South Carolina, I was uh, at a Flying J Travel Plaza one time, and I was washing my hands, and in the mirror, I saw this man with a trench coat coming up behind me, which, not going to lie, kind of freaked me out a little bit. Then he grabbed the, the front of his trench coat, and he opened it up, And there must have been 200 watches. A hundred on one side hanging up there and a hundred on the other side hanging there. And he said, can I interest you in a Rolex? 
Now, I don't know a whole lot about Rolexes, but I'm pretty sure that you don't buy them at the Flying J Travel Plaza from a guy who opens up his trench coat. Those were fake if I ever saw them. Those were inauthentic and not genuine if I ever saw them. Now, the testing, the trials of of our lives, the the trials separate the authentic from the fraudulent. And Jesus, as he is tempted in the desert, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Maybe your experience is different from the experience of most people that, that I know who've been Christians for, for a while. Fasting is not a spiritual discipline that modern Christians participate in as much as a couple of generations ago. But if you've, if you've tried fasting, you know that hunger comes on pretty quickly. If you say, I'm, I'm not going to eat from dinner on Thursday to dinner on Friday, I can guarantee you that 11.30 a.m. on Friday, your stomach is going to be growling. And if I come to you with a donut, you will be tempted. Jesus the, the number 40 being the number of wholeness, the number of completeness. Jesus is, is tempted for 40 days. He, he fasts for, for the right amount of time, for the complete, for the, for the total amount of time that he needs to be tempted in the way that this, this testing unfolds. The devil offers him a way out. If you are the son of God, I know you're hungry. And however hungry you or I might be at 11.30 a.m., on a Friday, if we're, if we're fasting for a day, multiply that again and again and again. You can fix that problem right now. It's really easy. All you've got to do is look at these stones and turn them to bread. If you are the Son of God, climb up on the temple and throw yourself down. Become a spectacle so that everybody will take notice of you. So that God can rescue you in a miraculous way and there will be no debate as to who you are and what your identity is. And then from the mouth of temptation, a vision of the world and its kingdoms and the tempter saying, I will give you all of these if you fall down and worship me. Some church up in New England a number of years ago hired someone to make a web page for them. Someone who didn't know the Bible particularly well. And consequently, when they had finished with the web page, someone happened to notice that up at the top was this quote from Satan All these I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. They were relentlessly mocked. Letting Satan speak for your church was the name of one of the articles. And soon the webpage had been readjusted, reevaluated, and completely redone. All this I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Your identity will be put to the test, and that is not always a disaster. James says, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of 
any kind consider it nothing but joy because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. I'm a realist. I understand that there are plenty of, plenty of things that life throws at us that it's hard to say. Consider it pure joy. And yet, the way that you and I face the wilderness, the way you and I pray, the way we depend on God, the way we rely on God, our identity as children of God will be put to the test. Our identity as people who follow the Messiah, the Son of the living God, will be put to the test. The good news is, the test does not last forever. And God's grace and God's provision surround it. We find at the end of our passage that at the end of the 40 days, the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Back to James. James said, Blessed is everyone who endures temptation. Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. But the question arises, and the question is inevitable. We recognize that God uses the wilderness to shape us, We also recognize when we're thinking clearly that our identity as children of God will be put to the test. But the question arises, what about when we fail? What about when we fall? Because if you're anything like me, and you are more like me, than any of us cares to imagine, even if you have a full head of hair. We sometimes fall. We sometimes fail. What happens when we fall? What happens when we fail? The Scriptures tell us that we have a great high priest, that Jesus occupies this place for us, a priest that is passed through the heavens, the Son of God, and so we can hold fast to our confession. Now listen carefully. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet who is without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus, the perfect, the sinless, we who have eaten from the tree, we who have fallen and who have failed, the question becomes, how does the perfect and the sinless relate to one who has failed and who has fallen? Is it like the perfect and the sinless says, I don't want anything at all to do with you? Or is it the case that he who is perfect does not turn his back on those who have fallen? 
but instead has perfect compassion toward us. Hebrews says we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us, but one who in every respect has been tested like we are. And so because he is perfect, because on this mount of temptation, he said no, 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 because he is the one who has endured. We can approach the throne of grace with boldness. We can receive help and find mercy in time of need. There's always this temptation that the church has avoided. But this temptation to say the Old Testament is full of law and the New Testament is the example of grace. Well, in my other life, before, uh, before I became a full-time pastor, I was, I was heading toward uh, teaching Old Testament someplace before God called me into the church. And I can tell you that it is not so simple as the Old Testament is law and the New Testament is grace. Someone might say, well, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. There you go. That's law. To which I would say, being smart-alecky, of course, no, that's grace. It's grace because in a world where if you insulted someone, you might get yourself killed... The Old Testament says if someone punches you and knocks out a tooth, you have no right to take that person's life. If someone steps on your toe, you have no right to break an arm. The punishment and the crime must be commensurate. The Old Testament gives us that beautiful creed from ancient Israel, the Lord. The Lord, a God who is merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, who relents from punishment. And here's two more. In Isaiah, which is heavy on the Lenten reading lists of many many resources that you may have. Isaiah says, a bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. If you are broken, if, if your flame is down to just a tiny spark that you're afraid might go out, God is with you and he won't snuff that out. If you feel bent over, like the weight of the world is on your shoulders, God is not going to break you. Again, from the Old Testament, a beautiful sentence. God knows how we were made. He remembers that we are dust. If you came last Wednesday evening, you got the sign of the cross on your forehead. And either Sean or I said, dust you are, to dust you shall return, repent, and believe the gospel. God knows you more intimately than you know yourself. God understands more about you than those who are closest to you understand. God understands your faults, your failings, your frailty, your weakness. 
He knows how we were made, and he remembers that we are dust, and he offers himself to us nonetheless. Today, he offers himself to us. The gifts of bread and the cup. Today, he offers himself to us through this Eucharist, this Holy Communion. This is not a Methodist table. You don't have to be a member of Centenary to come and to join us at this table. This is a place where all who seek God can seek with the promise that those who seek will find. This is a place where you can come and accept and receive the grace that Jesus Christ offers to you. A bruised reed he will not break. A dimly burning wick he will not quench. He remembers how we were made. He knows that we are dust. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.